action. Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now, we're talking business. Let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. He's a big movies think about big men in tights. You should have got us. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f are the Knutsons? We like movies. Hello, everybody. Welcome to We Like Movies, uh, your favorite semi-monthly movie podcast, ranging everything from classic cinema to contemporary film. Today we continue our deep dive on the AFI Top 100 list with number 60, Duck Soup by the Marx Brothers. I am Oscar Dahl, coming to you from beautiful quarantine Seattle, Washington. I'm joined by the one and only Matthew K. Knudsen from Los Angeles, California. Matt, how's it going, buddy? I'm in a very good mood because we're going to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies today. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna puncture your mood you so hard. Yeah, it's all right. Just, it's good just, to disagree. Just wait for it. I presume you are a Marx Brothers uh, completist. Completist? No, I, that would be disingenuous. I am a okay. super fan, but I have not seen all of them. Depending on who you talk to, the Marx Brothers basically made 14-ish films. Okay. That does not count cameos, television appearances. There's a couple of lost film, quote-unquote lost films in there that they shot but never made it to theaters for, for whatever reason. If you just consider the theatrical canon of Marx Brothers stuff, it breaks down to about 14 films. Okay. Five of them with Paramount, six of them with MGM, and then three of them with United Artists. From 1929 okay. to ni- over the course of 20 years, 1929 to 1949, and I probably have seen 10 of them. So no, I'm not a completist, but I'm definitely a super fan. They've, they've been a part of my life since a very, very young age. When my mother and I talk to each other, we, we talk in movie quotes often, and those quotes are almost always coming from Duck Soup, Airplane, or Blazing Saddles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and this one's really important to me because I believe it is their masterpiece. I think it's the film that most clearly defines their particular brand of productive anarchy. Let's start here. Pitch me on Duck Soup's merits. Why is it important? Why is it encapsulate the Marx Brothers? Why is it their highest ranking film on the AFI Top 100? Why is this representative of why they were important? So this is the last movie they make during their Paramount years. To me, those were their best years. Coconuts, Animal Crackers, Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and Duck Soup. I think Duck Soup Horse Feathers and Animal Crackers are the three, their three best movies. Uh, number four would probably be Night at the Opera, which we talked about many, many months ago. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think I think the Paramount years were their best years. I think those are their most important movies. I think that I think that's when their movies had the most to say. That that's when their satire was really at its most effective. And this is also the last movie they all made together. This is the last Marx Brothers movie with the four Marx Brothers: Groucho, Chico. Harpo and Zeppo. Uh, from here on out, mm-hmm. it's it's just three. It's just Groucho, Chico, and and Harpo. And to me, this is when their comedy is at its most honed. It's when their sort of political satire is at its most sophisticated. And this is to me, it's their it's far and away their like angriest 
and most anarchic film. And so the way that this movie deals with, you know, the way that it satirizes politics, the way that it satirizes the idea of war, the way that it satirizes socioeconomic ideas, and also just the sheer amount of jokes coming at you. I would hold this movie up next to something like Airplane, you know, number of jokes, number of puns per minute that come out. And I think it also has three or four of the most iconic sequences in the entire Marx oeuvre, which we can we can get further into. This movie is 68 minutes long. It's like barely even a feature. It is barely a movie. Yeah. It is. There is not a wasted moment in that 68 minutes. I am laughing the entire time. I mean, this really is one of my most rewatched movies. I, I, I put this thing on the background all the time just to just to feel better about everything. It's really quite an angry film with like a lot in its mind. This movie comes out in 1933, the same year that Hitler is declared Chancellor of Germany, right? Yeah. Benito, Benito Mussolini banned this film in Italy after he saw it. And okay. uh, and so I think that it, the, the, the themes of this movie continue to resonate. And I'd also put it up next. I think it would make a really nice double feature with something like Dr. Strangelove in terms of just like looking at the idea of like global politics, relationships between contentious countries and the potential for deciding to go to war on a whim and the fact that you don't even really need to stretch too far to find the gallows humor there, right? Like this movie sure. basically just like sets these things up and says, isn't this ridiculous? The the absurdity of it is so inherent that it seems just so such perfect fertile ground for the Marx Brothers who were about absurdity and anarchy. Tell me why exactly the the satire is so cutting here. Like, what, what would you say this movie's saying? What is it saying about yeah. war? What is it saying about politics? What does it say about everything? I, I mean, it, maybe we're all doomed. Maybe the idea of government is inherently flawed because mm-hmm. everyone is infected and poisoned by their own self-interest, right? Like Rivers yeah. T. Firefly, or you could even go further and say all of the characters that Groucho played, their main defining quality was self-interest. And maybe self-interest sure. is exactly what what gets us all into war in the first place, right? And that these kind of things, these, these sorts of things just com- continue to snowball and snowball and snowball until people are losing their lives. Yeah, I, I guess I would, yeah, I would say that self-interest is what allows any politician to rise in power, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I watched this movie the other day and I hadn't seen it in years. You know, I, I'd seen it a couple times previously and I remember liking it just fine. I, I wanted to laugh more. I, I guess that's my... Main takeaway here. I, I, I sat on the couch, watched it. I, I, I embraced it with open arms and I maybe chuckled once or twice throughout the movie. I guess my main takeaway is like, I respect the craft quite a bit and I respect mm-hmm. the wordplay and I think the gags are, are well done. I'm just not sure it holds up to modern sensibilities, at least my sensibilities, too much. And I and I thought, I feel like the satire is pretty, pretty surface level, especially comparing it to something like Dr. Strangelove. You know, that's not necessarily me saying this is overrated or underrated or whatever it's just uh, i find it interesting that 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 this is represented on the list whereas other comedies throughout cinema history are not i don't know I, I think this is a deeper discussion but the passage of time elevates some things maybe to a degree where it's not they're not worthy of it yeah i mean it, it's i don't know what it says about me or or my sensibilities or maybe i'm an old soul or something like that when i was watching this movie again last night for the millionth time chuckling at it the way that I always have and just being so tickled by it all I was starting to kind of just like put together in my head what what are my favorite comedies of all time what do I think are the funniest films ever ever made and I I was coming up with Duck Soup Dr. Strangelove MASH Blazing Saddles Monty Python and the, and the Holy Grail Airplane I don't know, maybe The Naked Gun. And I realized that like a lot of these films that I consider to be the funniest that work the most for me comedically tend to be a little bit older. 
and and a lot of them are are on this list, or a few of them at least. So yeah. I, I don't know what that is, but what it necessarily says about me, but my comedic sensibilities are completely in line with what the Marx Brothers are doing because I think that it's smart satire coexisting with punnery, physical comedy, prop comedy. I mean, you know, they're basically bringing together what the what the three stooges were doing with I don't know what Jonathan Swift is doing you know right like sure. they're they're bringing this this kind of stuff together and then what Stanley Kubrick and Terry Southern probably perfected with something like Dr. Strange Love right I, I could just watch the entire video series of all the Groucho scenes strung together I can I never get tired of Groucho and Chico doing wordplay right that's my wheelhouse like puns and wordplay, that's what I want. That's what I like. And, and I don't think anybody ever did it better than the Marx Brothers did. I mean, I, I think my favorite scene in this movie, even though there's all, there's all sorts of iconic sequences, is the introduction of the spies. Have you been trailing Firefly? <laughs> Have we been trailing Firefly? Why, my partner, he's got a nose just like a bloodhound. Oh, really? Yeah, and the rest of his face don't look so good either. And now, gentlemen, please, will you tell me what you found out about Firefly? Well, you remember you gave us a picture of this man and said, follow him? Oh, yes. Well, we get on the job right away. And in the one hour, even in less than one hour, yes? we lose the pigs. That's a pretty quick wait, eh? But I asked you to dig up something I can use against Firefly. Did you bring me his record? And the boy gets a cigar. Uh, now, Ciccolini, I want a full, detailed report of your investigation. All right, I tell you. Monday, we watch the Firefly's house, but he no come out. He wasn't home. Tuesday, we go to the ball game, but he fool us. He no show up. Wednesday, he go to the ball game, and we fool him. We no show up. Thursday was a doubleheader. Nobody show up. Friday, it rained all day. There was no ball game. So we stayed home. We listened to her over the radio. Then you didn't shadow Firefly. Oh, sure, we shadow Fire. We shadow him all day. But what day was that? Saturday. <laughs> it's a, some joke, eh, boss? Now, will you tell me what happened on Saturday? I'm glad you asked me. We follow this man down to a roadhouse. And at this roadhouse, he meet a married lady. A married lady? Yeah, I think it was his wife. Firefly has no wife? No. No. Then you know what I think, boss? What? I think we followed the wrong man. That level of inanity and just listening to Chico riff like that or the um, the trial at the end. Yeah. I, I sold a code and two pair of plans or whatever, right? I 10 years in Leavenworth or 11 years in Twelveworth. You know, just like that inane <laughs> punnery, it just, it's always going to work for me. And nobody did it better than these guys. Yeah, I mean, the punnery, the gags, the physical humor, all that stuff is 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 good. But, I mean, it's just weird to consider it satirical when all of the funny stuff the stuff this these guys are known for completely separate from the satire itself i disagree i think it all i think it all feeds into it i think the absurdity of it all underscores like the 15 minutes of this hour and eight minute movie that deal with fucking with the food vendor are satirical <laughs> i mean they're not it's, no but it's no, but that's that's when harpo is given the ability to shine right you got to give each of the marx brothers their moment you have to let them flex their muscle a little bit so this is sure. one of this is one of the few marx Brothers movies that doesn't really feature a sequence where Harpo can play the harp and where Chico can play the piano. And that sort of sets it a little bit apart because most of their films feature a musical interlude where those guys can just play an entire song on their instrument of choice, which is weird. Yeah. Can you imagine like can you imagine a, a movie nowadays where somebody just like stopped the narrative cold just to play a, a song on the harp for four and a half minutes? No, I can't. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they used to do that in these movies, and and in this one they don't. So, but they need to be able to give Harpo the ability to fuck with somebody outside of his lemonade cart. And those are some of the funniest scenes in the movie, and, and all the shit they're doing with the hats and with the legs and with the peanuts yeah. and with the lemonade. It's just gold as far as physical comedy is concerned. Does it have anything to do with the with the larger satire? Certainly not. But I don't think every single joke in this movie necessarily needs to inform deeper political satire necessarily. At the end of the day, it can have moments where it's just being silly and still work on that level. Of course it can. I mean, they're allowed to do whatever they want, but I'm just like, I have a hard time considering this movie like an all-time masterpiece, 60th best movie of all time when it's an hour and eight minutes and a large portion of that is just just gags, right? Is is like no different than Three Stooges stuff. Did, did we just get done talking about this on the Sullivan's Travels episode or it's where we come to the realization that like maybe just being silly and making people laugh and tickling people can be the greatest gift you can give? Yeah, okay. So let's <laughs> let's let's get into that. And isn't, isn't Harpo just like cutting people's stogies in half? Can't that just ex- exist on its own terms? Can't that work for it? Absolutely it can. So my, my issue has been the underrepresentation of comedies on this list. Okay. And I think this is an example of the misrepresentation of comedies on this list, right? Mm. Like it's insane to me that this movie is on here and there are no Mel Brooks movies. Yeah. Uh, there's no Christopher Guest movies. There's no Airplane. Think about all-time favorite comedies and even movies that aren't like wall-to-wall comedy. Like Ghostbusters is a better movie than this. Oof, oof, just hard disagree. Wayne's World is a better movie than this. Hard disagree. Just watched Wayne's World recently. (laughs) Very funny, endearing, hardly a better movie than this. The satire that you speak of, it's there kind of. The the jokes, the thing that makes the Marx Brothers the Marx Brothers are totally disconnected from whatever satirical bent we're talking about here. Like all all the wordplay, you can can say what you want, but it's not like biting satire. Don't think they're mutually exclusive, you know? Like I, I, I just think they're reinforcing a certain amount of like irreverence irreverence juxtaposed with these very, very serious and ideologically involved scenarios, I just find to be a really, just a really effective, strange but effective bedfellows. Does that make sense? Like, I think that's, I I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but it just seems like thematically it has so, there's so much overlap with Dr. Strangelove. Like, the reason that that movie is so effective in terms of lampooning the idea of uh, mutually assured destruction is because George C. Scott is falling on his ass for so much that, you know, or he's trying to wrestle a camera out of the hands of Russian ambassador or whatever. Like, it's so silly. It's so stupid. It it really underscores how absurd the idea of just deciding to go to war on a whim is. Yeah. And yet how, okay, well, how, how much of history is probably defined by those very silly whims that people in power decide to explore, decide to give into. The difference with something like Dr. Strangelove is the dialogue in that movie is literally about the thing it's satirizing. Whereas something like Duck Soup, like what, 90% of the gags have nothing to do with, with the story being told, right? It, it isn't the point that you're using this absurd character who you have installed. The Margaret Dumont character basically buys him his position as chancellor, or the, I don't know, the, the emperor of Fredonia or whatever at the beginning. She mm-hmm. she buys him into that position. His complete lack of experience or lack of foresight mm-hmm. is, is a commentary how people can come into these things through nepotism or sure. people are born into these situations even though they have, they have no... T- to me, it just seems so absurd that this guy would be playing jacks while there's this very important discussion going on with his cabinet. And the fact that everybody is playing it so straight, like he's absurd and everything he's doing is silly. And yet everybody in there still responds to him like he is the president. As chairwoman of the reception committee, I extend the good wishes of every man, woman and child of Fredonia. Never mind that stuff. Take a card. Card? 
What'll I do with the card? You can keep it. I've got 51 left. Now, what were you saying? As chairwoman of the reception committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? I've sponsored your appointment because I feel you are the most able statesman in all Fredonia. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Say, you cover a lot of ground yourself. You better beat it. I hear they're going to tear you down and put up an office building where you're standing. You can leave in a taxi. If you can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If that's too soon, you can leave in a minute and a huff. You know you haven't stopped talking since I came here? You must have been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. The future of Fredonia rests on you. Promise me you'll follow in the footsteps of my husband. How do you like that? I haven't been on the job five minutes and already she's making advances to me. Not that I care, but where is your husband? Why, he's dead. I'll bet he's just using that as an excuse. I was with him till the very end. <laughs> no wonder he passed away. I held him in my arms and kissed him. Oh, I see. Then it was murder. Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. He left me his entire fortune. Is that so? Can't you see what I'm trying to tell you? I love you. Oh, your excellency. You're not so bad yourself. Oh, I want to present you Ambassador Trentino of Sylvania. Having him with us today is indeed a great pleasure. Thank you, but I can't stay very long. That's even a greater pleasure. Now, how about lending this country $20 million, you old skinflint? $20 million is a lot of money. I'd like to take that up with my Minister of Finance. Well, in the meantime, could you let me have $12 until payday? $12? Don't be scared. You'll get it back. I'll give you my personal note for 90 days. If it isn't paid by then, you can keep the note. Your Excellency, haven't we seen each other somewhere before? I don't think so. I'm not sure I'm seeing you now. It must be something I ate. Look here, sir. Are you trying to... Don't look now, but there's one man too many in this room, and I think it's you. I want you to meet a very charming lady. And it's about time. I want to present Miss Vera Markell. Go ahead. I can take it. Oh, you don't understand. This is Vera Markell, the famous dancer. I danced before Napoleon. No, Napoleon danced before me. In fact, he danced 200 years before me. Here's one I picked up in a dance hall. Here's another one I picked up in a dance hall. Perhaps sometime we get a chance to dance together, huh? I could dance with you till the cows come home. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows till you come home. Where's my secretary? Here I am. Good heavens, your exit. Uh, take a letter. Who to? To my dentist. Uh, dear dentist, enclosed fine check for $500. Yours very truly. Send that off immediately. I'll, uh, I'll have to enclose the check first. You do, and I'll fire you. Your Excellency, the eyes of the world are upon you. Notables from every country are gathered here in your honor. This is a gala day for you. Well, a gala day is enough for me. I don't think I can handle anymore. He has this position, so he gets to make these decisions. He gets to make this call. He gets to send the country into a misguided conflict because... Mm they're taking him seriously. And to me, yeah. I, I find that to be a pretty effective sort of juxtaposition. Yeah. I mean, that, that's fine. But like, what about the 10% of the movie that's dealing with fucking with the food vendor? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. It's making me very happy. Just thinking about it. <laughs> like it, it is, it is one of the more, it is one of the more sort of like iconic Marx brothers, physical comedy sequences in their in their entire oeuvre. The other one that this movie's probably most famous for is the mirror gag. And the mirror yeah. gag became so famous. It's something that they originated on the stage and then they continued to use it throughout films and then at one point it popped up in I Love Lucy and it just, it's just one of the most, it's one of the things they're most famous for but it ultimately has nothing to do with the ideology of the movie. And I think that's fine. I don't think it necessarily needs to comment on the political ideas the movie's trying to explicate. That's, that's all fine, well, and good but just me trying to judge this movie objectively in in 2020 i can understand its its importance and how riotously funny it certainly was at the time and even you know even to some people now it's hard to shake the feeling that you know they have this 
the structure of a, of a satirical film, but it's mostly serving as a, as a joke slash gag machine throughout. It's hard to, for me to see the difference in, in this and something like a long episode of, of 30 Rock that is satirizing reality TV or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand just sort of in the in the view of cinema history and AFI Top 100 list that the Marx Brothers were and are important and that they should be represented. But I do disagree with them being here instead of other comedies and other important comedic films that have come, you know, since 1970 <laughs> that, are, that are not represented. This being the number one comedy of all time, according the AFI feels extremely wrong. What's it called? Uh, Some like it hot, right? Isn't that number? Isn't that number? Okay, one? yeah, may, may, maybe you're right. <laughs> my, my point still stands. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I, I think you're exactly right that uh, the comedy is is woefully underrepresented. Um, in terms of stuff that comes after 1970, uh, you're right. What's what's there? Uh, Tootsie, just off the top of my head. I think it's just Tootsie. Yeah, Tootsie, which is which is much much lower on this list than Duck Soup. Comedy is an interesting thing. It just doesn't pull the kind of respect it just doesn't seem to carry the same weight we're gonna in, in about five more movies we're gonna talk about mash which is one of my all-time favorite comedies also a political comedy uh, also a satire yeah. i it's weird i don't consider myself politically savvy or politically active or even politically interested <laughs> just sure. to totally make myself like an app sound like an absolute plebe but so many of my favorite comedies are political satires dr mm-hmm. strangelove duck soup mash even blazing saddles you know is sort of a yeah. soci- socio-political satire but yeah i don't know what what what, what is it why do, you, why do you suppose comedies can't seem to get the same kind of attention don't carry the same amount of weight all art and all film is subjective but i think comedies are to the nth degree subjective right and there's there can be lots of disagreements on what people like what people don't like you know everyone kind of agrees on Casablanca but maybe not everyone agrees on Blazing Saddles or Duck Soup well yeah Duck Soup of course but you know I'm, I'm trying to think of a even better comedy than Duck Soup well I mean I'm just looking at the list I mean Annie Hall is number 35 on this list okay you know and, yeah. and that is what one of three comedies that have ever won the best picture Oscar yeah and that's including something like Shakespeare in Love yeah I mean a lot, a lot of dr- dramatic films are funny is Singing in the Rain a comedy Singing in the Rain is in the top 10 well straight up comedies are also more often than not of their time you know even more so than dramatic films right what we found funny 15 years ago doesn't doesn't hold up and what people found funny 70 80 years ago for some people like myself don't hold up right yeah that's interesting so comedy is more tied into its era comedy sensibilities change whereas dramatic sensibilities have more or less been the same since since the greeks started yeah. you know, performing in I public mean, i think that uh, i think that's probably objectively true right drama is kind of black and white whereas comedy has many more shades of gray in terms of how effective yeah. it is or how it moves people yeah i mean i think we can all get caught up in the moment for any film but it's hard to think back at dramatic films that were beloved in their time that have gone totally out of style yeah no, no, yeah i think you're exactly right yeah but we can look back at something like wedding crashers or, you know, or whatever stuff from the 90s or ace ventura or whatever whatever's popular in any given time you can probably look back in 10 years and be like yeah maybe that doesn't hold up as well as it used to and you know there's also stuff like pop culture references but i don't i don't think that was a part of duck soup i mean maybe maybe not references but there could be things that are going over our head things that would have gotten a huge laugh in the 30s that go completely over our heads now right i think just things were not 
we're not dialed into because they're sort of like cultural touchstones. It's so sensibility centric, you know, like it's so personal. And maybe that's why people get really defensive about their comedies more so than they do about their dramas. Everybody loves Casablanca. Everybody loves The Godfather or whatever. But do people get as defensive about those movies? Like, do people, uh, are people that no. are more, much more inclined to be get super defensive about Vertigo the way they might get defensive about Young Frankenstein or Airplane or something? No, I think people do get defensive about comedies and, you know, maybe even like action movies or the other ones. Sure. Also sort but, of un- underrepresented on this list. Yeah. Action movies and horror movies. Like, I, I, I will defend Jackass, the Jackass trilogy to my deathbed. <laughs> those are pieces of art, man. Like, I, I think those are absolutely unimpeachable uh, cinema experiences. Like, I would much rather rather turn on any jackass any day than a marx brothers movie it's been said many times but i mean the jackass guys are obviously the marx brothers of their generation right <laughs> uh has it been said many times? <laughs> no. but i don't think that's i don't think that's wrong though i don't think that's wrong yeah that's the thing about comedy is you can't really be wrong if it makes you laugh if, if that's wrong then i don't want to be right ultimately and yeah. and duck soup just makes me laugh harder and heartier and more consistently than maybe any other comedy that's ever been made with the exception of maybe airplane and blazing saddles and i don't know monty python and the holy grail or something i mean i just laugh harder and more consistently and it, it just tickles whatever whatever specific to me something about watching harpo pull an alarm clock out of his pocket or listening to uh, to groucho insult margaret dumont i don't know it, it just works for me it just it just it just clicks it just works for some reason I, you know, I'm not in a minority. This is a very famous film. It's on this list. It's been no. working since 1933. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everybody. And that doesn't make people who don't respond to this wrong. This is this, all this stuff is subjective. And, and I think that's the whole point that we're making here, that like comedy is really intangible. It's really hard to put your finger on. Absolutely. It's, it's like porn, right? You know, you just know it when you see it. You know when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if it makes you laugh or gives you a boner, then you can't argue <laughs> It can't be wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> so, boy, I've been searching my entire life for something that can scratch both of those itches. Let me tell you. So, I uh, I mean, again, I can't argue with, with you laughing at this movie and loving this movie. Like I said, it's subjective. I do think that this being such an old film, there is a safety in the passage of time in terms of ranking this movie. It is entrenched in its classic status and its important status. I think it's easier to become important for comedy as more time, you know, time passes. It's kind of a safe comedy to put on the list because everyone knows and understands how big and how important the Marx Brothers were at the time. You know more than me, but like they, they were universally just beloved, right? Back then? Well, it's an interesting question. They they went in and out of fashion for sure. I mean, they like I said, they only really worked consistently for about 20 years. At least I mean, obviously they were doing vaudeville for many years before this. But yeah, yeah. yeah, 29 to 49 is about their run. And then Groucho goes on to You Bet Your Life and, and various other things. But they only really had about 20 years. And, and there was ups and downs in there. I mean, the movies aren't all To be fair, that's a, that's a pretty long run for any comedian. Fair enough. And there's masterpieces in there, but there's also some really forgettable ones in there. And the sensibilities change and they shift. And this movie was not a big success, critically or commercially. It was not a big hit. One of the It's one of the many reasons that they parted ways with Paramount after this movie is that it wasn't really a hit and it sort of went over people's heads and critics weren't that into it and for a number of reasons it wasn't really considered to be one of their best films until pretty recently you know maybe within the last 30 40 years I think actually Woody Allen probably had a lot to do with that because he was one of their champions for for a long time and this movie actually is somewhat significant in that it saves his life in um, Hannah and her sisters I'm not sure how fresh you are with that movie but there is a sequence where he basically is considering suicide and because he thinks 
he's uh, he's dying of a, of a disease, and so uh, he buys a shotgun, and he is about ready to shoot himself in the head, and then the gun goes off accidentally. He is trying to avoid embarrassment, so he flees his house, and as he's wandering around, he wanders into a movie theater and happens to be showing Duck Soup, and as a result of his reaction to that film, he decides that life actually is worth living and decides not to kill himself. There you go. In that regard, this movie saves his character's life, and and his continued support of them and his, his insistence that so much of his comedic sensibilities come from mostly from Bob Hope but also from the Marx Brothers I think has something to do with their legacy and and even just you know even just lists like this and conversations like this and and retrospectives I don't I don't think they were particularly respected contemporaneously like I think their movies were oftentimes pretty big hits but I think we definitely sort of like respect them more now than anybody did in the 30s yeah it'll be a similar trajectory for the jackass guys yeah decades after uh, Bam Margera uh, shuffles off the mortal coil he will finally be respected as the comedic genius that he was let's 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 go with johnny or, or steve <laughs> not, not necessarily bam you go straight to wee man yeah so uh best and worst this this film has obviously half a dozen truly iconic sequences um rufus t firefly's introduction at it groucho's really firing on all cylinders and on the opening of this movie some of his all-time greatest lines some of his best sparring with the great margaret dumont the aforementioned introduction of the spies peanuts lemonade hats just one of their great physical comedy scenes the scene with the mirror of course and then the war at the end i mean climax of the movie is a 10 minute war sequence and then it's over right it just deteriorates or evolves if you will into pure unbridled anarchy where they start just throwing in like stock footage of you know mm-hmm. fire engines leaving the station or people running a marathon or it, it, it just becomes pure unbridled glorious anarchy and every time they cut back to the war they're wearing you know they're wearing different costumes french legionnaires and all of a sudden they're boy scouts then all of a sudden they're in the revolutionary war then it's just it's just all it's all wonderful stuff yeah but but in terms of in terms of best and worst i, I think the best scene in the movie is probably the trial of Ciccolini that then leads into the the musical number. That's what I was gonna say. I think I think the trial before the musical number is my favorite part. Hello, boss. Piccolini, I bet you ain't the one we find you guilty. That's no good. I can get ten to one at the barbershop. Piccolini, you're charged with high treason. And if found guilty, you'll be shot. I object. Oh, you object. On what grounds? I couldn't think of anything else to say. Objection sustained. Your Excellency, you sustained the objection. Sure, I couldn't think of anything else to say either. Why don't you object? Chickalini, when were you born? I don't remember. I was just a little baby. Isn't it true you tried to sell Fredonia's secret war code and plans? Sure, I sold the code and two pair of plans. <laughs> it's some joke, eh, boss? No, I bet you 20 to 1 we find you guilty. Chickalini, have you anyone here to defend you? It's no use. I even offered to pay as high as $18, but I know could I get a somebody to defend me. My friends, this man's case moves me deeply. Look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. An abject figure. I abject. I say, look at Ciccolini. He sits there alone. A pitiable object. Let's see you get out of that one. Surrounded by a sea of unfriendly faces. Ciccolini, give me a number from one to ten. Eleven. Right. Now I ask you one. What is it has a trunk but no key? Weighs 2,000 pounds and lives in a circus. That's irrelevant. Irrelevant? Hey, that's the answer. There's a whole lot of relevance in a circus. That sort of testimony we can eliminate. That's a fine. I'll take some. You'll take what? Eliminate. A nice cold glass eliminate. Hey, boss, I'm going to good. (laughs) Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. 
He really is an idiot. I implore you. Send him back to his father and brothers who are waiting for him with open arms in the penitentiary. I suggest that we give him 10 years in Leavenworth or 11 years in Twelveworth. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take five and ten in Woolworth. I wanted to get rid of habeas corpus, but I should have gotten rid of you instead. I object. Even I object. Then I object too. You're on trial. You can't object. I think it's the best scene in the movie. The worst scene in the movie. So some of these movies are a little dated in terms of their social sensibilities. Some some more, some worse than others. This one is not as bad as, as some of them were. But there is a pretty cringy racial joke, which I don't need to repeat. But boy, it, it lands like a freaking lead balloon. Yep, that was mine. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. Pretty rough. There's not too much of that in this film luckily but yeah that one I don't even remember like what the context of the scene is I just know that that joke it declares that scene as probably the worst scene in the movie but in terms of the movie's legacy I mean it jumped from number 85 to number 60 over 10 years so you know jumping 25 spots that has to be amongst the biggest jumps on this list right I mean that is significant jumping a quarter of the list yeah I mean the movie we just talked about last Sullivan's Travels went from off the list to 61 okay. that's a pretty yeah, fair huge jump right fair enough, fair and there, enough. There, are couple, there, there are a couple of those that that weren't on and then jumped into the middle of the list. But I, I think it was just one of those voting things where like, oh, the Marx Brothers need a little more respect. Let's move them up the list. And they did. Now the Marx Brothers have two films on the list. The original list only had this one. No, no Night, Night at, the, at Opera. the Opera. We're also, we're in this weird comedy zone here at, at this point. Like American Graffiti, Sullivan's Travels, Duck Soup, Nashville, and The Gold Rush. Yeah, maybe Nashville isn't explicitly a comedy, but it is yeah. interesting in this in this discussion about the underrepresentation of comedy. The fact that they're all, that we got a bunch of them kind of jumbled up here around this point of the list. Yeah, it's kind of a fun little run we're on. If you don't have any final thoughts here, uh, you got something to say to the listeners? Just to say thank you for listening. If you haven't figured it out yet, we like movies, but we also like podcasting and want to continue to do so. If you like what you've heard, consider rating, reviewing, subscribing, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, or your preferred podcasting platform. Follow us on all the socials, WLM Podcast. Drop us a line, WLMPodcast at gmail.com. Consider donating to the cause, WeLikeMovies.com, clicking the donate link at the top. This is also where you can find podcast archives, listicles, rankings, video essays, other assorted ephemera. Tell your friends and let's keep this conversation going. For Oscar Dahl, I'm Matt Knudsen and the degree of difficulty on this episode was one half of one cigar. One half of one cigar.